0: So this is what we're going to call Episode 5 of the series, Basic. And the subtitle to Basic is, What Every Christian Ought to Know. We've taken a look at Scripture, at Bible, and what Bible is, and how you um, make sense of it, and how you should understand it. And so now, we're going to take this, this Scripture, this Bible, and we're going to use it towards some of the, the basic Things that every Christian ought to know. And I guess a good place to start with that would be God. Now, because without God, that's about as basic as you can get right there. And without God, well, then what, what, is, what does any of this mean? What's the point of any of this if there is no God? But I don't want to begin with the proof of God or talk about how we know there is a God and there's not a God. Because I honestly, I'll, I'll be honest, I, I'm not, I'm not real enthused about starting there, um, and, I, and I, I don't know that God is either, because nowhere in Scripture uh, do you find a point at which Scripture is interested in proving that there's a God. It just assumes that there is a God, and, and Scripture even says that those who say that there is no God, well, that's just foolish. Scripture just assumes that we. We believe in a God. Now the question is: Okay, so um, so what does it mean to know this God? Now at the same time, I'm not saying that it's wrong to ask questions or to have doubts about the existence of God, and that's all that's all a good conversation. But remember, what we're here for is to talk about what's basic, what every Christian ought to know. So let's just start with the assumption that there is a God, and now the thing is what. Is it that we should know? That's basic about God. Well, God likes covenants. He really likes them. And then you have to ask yourself, okay, so what does that mean about God? If God likes covenants, what is it about covenants that that is so um, so important? Well, covenants are God's way. Of making relationships. And what you see in scripture. Is God. Reaching out. And making himself known. To humanity. To us. To men and women. To people. To nations. And he wants them to know. That he's God. And they are part of creation. And he speaks the language of covenant. So that there might be relationship. If there's one thing that you ought to know about God, it's this. He likes covenants. And he likes covenants because he likes relationship. God is in every way all about relationships. If God wanted to be left alone, he never would have created us. If God didn't want anything at all to do with the troubles of humanity, he never would have gone through the trouble to create us and make this world. But that's what he wants. He desires Life. He wants there to be life. In fact, when he starts up this whole thing that we call the creation, everything in it first it starts out. Everything is uh, without form. It's all empty. It's just it's it's uh, it has fallen into disrepair. It's it's all chaos. Nothing nothing good is there. And God's spirit moves in and starts creating life and starts creating order. And starts making things, and they make sense. And at every point in the creation, God is interested in there being more and more life and seeing that that life thrives. God likes this. And God wants to have a relationship with this creation. So on the seventh day, he rests. And he doesn't rest because he's weary and he's tired and he's burned out. God doesn't tire or exhaust like we do. He rests on the seventh day because after putting this all together, he wants to enjoy it. He wants to take pleasure in the creation. It's like a chef that makes a fantastic meal, goes through all the trouble of of making the meal. And, And then after she's done with it, she... What else is she going to do? She's not going to put it on a shelf somewhere. She's not going to you know, spray it down with plastic and you know, keep it as a keepsake. She's going to eat it. She's going to enjoy it. She's going to enjoy the, the, the good meal that she's made. Well, so it is with God. He's, he's made this creation. He, he's, he's brought it to life. Now he wants to see it continue. He wants to see it live. But something goes wrong. And we'll get into that in later, uh, later talks. We'll get into that where sin comes into it and it breaks. And this is why God likes covenants. Because the covenant is God's attempt to restore the broken relationship. It's his work at healing what has gone bad. Now, we tend to think of covenant as law. And that's not good. Um, because I think law... Law reduces covenant; it, it loses its inspiration. You know, sometime if you um, are just bored or you need to sleep, go and read United States Code. All right? Just you know, that's the laws of the United States of America, and you can read it. and I think one of them one of my fav- one of my favorite classics in U.S. Code is uh, Title Twelve, uh, Chapter Six. Uh, there is created a company called the Export-Import Bank of the United States. Now, you know, that that has moved people for generations, hasn't it? Code like that. But it's there. It's the law. That's the law. But then we have other statements that are law, like we, the people, the United States of America, in order to form a more perfect union, and we know those words, and we remember those words. Uh, even in the Declaration of Independence, which may or may not be law, but it certainly has the, the, the influence of law. Uh, you know, we believe that all men are created equal. You know, the, these, these statements that have that impact and have, and have actually generated laws. Why, why is it that statements like that move and inspire us, but other laws don't? Because they point to a bigger reality. They point to something larger than themselves. That, that the Declaration of Independence and the, 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 the Constitution and the preamble of the Constitution are meant to describe something that ought to be self-evident. Something that is bigger than the words on paper. So it is with God's covenants. His covenants are meant to, to, to direct our attention And in the first case, his attention, we'll get to that in just a second, to something bigger than the covenant itself. And so that's why I think covenant is greater than law. Covenant precedes law. Covenant is about describing the relationship and sealing that relationship and establishing that relationship. Law is what it means to work out that relationship and how to conduct ourselves with one another and with God. All right first covenant that you come across when you're going through Scripture is going to be the covenant with Noah. And you're going to find it in Genesis 9. And in Genesis 9, uh, God has spared Noah and the creatures on the ark. And this all happened because sin broke the world. Sin broke the creation. It damaged it. It ruined it. And so God is, is starting over. He's he's erasing and starting over, and it's a it's a horrible horrible chapter in the creation uh, where God is grieved. He's in despair, and and by the way, one of the things that you see in covenant is God is not a Greek philosophical idea of God. He is not emotionless. He is not dispassionate. He cares. He gets angry. He gets sad, he's grieved, he's filled with love, he is love. And at the end, you know, with all that emotion, we have to ask, okay, but is he good? Yes, he's good, he's also good. And in the covenants, we see that, we see that passion of God. Um, God now has rescued Noah and his family and all the creatures on the ark, and he's starting over, and so God wants to start this... um, This relationship all over again. And in verse 8 of chapter 9, God said to Noah and to his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that was with you. The birds, the livestock, the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you. Every living creature on earth. I establish my covenant with you. Here's the covenant. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. God makes a promise. God makes a promise. He makes a commitment. He makes a commitment against destruction. He makes a commitment for the thriving of life. And, and, and here, you know, it, this, this this handful of creation, this little sample set, Of humanity and creatures. And I I, I love this covenant because God has a covenant with the critters. He has a covenant with all the little... When you you go out here and you see birds flying around, God's got a covenant with them. When you go home and maybe you've got uh, a, a puppy or a kitty cat waiting on you, God's got a covenant with them. Even that little fish that's in the bowl. Whatever it is, God's got a covenant with them. He's for life. Not going to destroy things. Not going to do that. God said, by the way, this covenant is all very one-sided with Noah. Uh, you know, what's Noah going to say? Um, Noah's been a passenger this whole time pretty much. You know, he built an ark and then he's just riding it out. God said, this is the sign of the covenant I'm making between me and you and every living creature with you. A covenant for all generations to come. I've set my rainbow in the clouds. And it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. And whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. And whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I'll see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on earth. That's God saying that. God's making this covenant with himself. It's with Noah and all the living creatures, but but the reminder of the covenant and the one he's asking to keep the covenant is himself. It's like God is taking this step to say, okay, I'm going to put myself out there. I'm going to make a commitment. God likes covenants because he wants to have this relationship with the creation. It wraps up in verse 17. So God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant I have established between me, not me and you, me and all life on earth. That's a pretty powerful covenant in my opinion. Here's God and he has just, you know, if you want him to... uh, Imagine that that the press has God, uh, you know, on the in front of the camera, and the uh, the media, like the media likes to do, likes to call people out and says, "God, why don't you tell us right now? Why don't you tell us right now? What do you think of the creation? Where are you right now?" God says, "Well, I think I've settled this. Remember the rainbow? I'm on the side of life. I'm on the side of all life. I am. I'm not going to go all out in destruction. God has." put himself on the record and it's more than that it's an overture it's covenant so that's the first covenant but you know the thing is as as much as god is all in at that point there's the same problems that caused the flood that caused destruction they just continue to to grow and they continue to occur and so so what 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 is the solution here what can God do about this? What's he going to do next to, to move towards a relationship? This is where the covenant with Abraham comes into play. Now, the covenant with Abraham, the story of Abraham begins in Genesis 12. Um, in Genesis 12, you have this, this opening conversation with, with God where he calls Abraham and he says, says, Abraham, I have a... I have a purpose in mind for you. I have something I need you to do for me. He says, go from your country, leave your people, leave your father's household, go to the land I'm going to show you. And in 12.2, God says, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And that's the beginning of the relationship. With Abraham, which is going to become a relationship that God wants to have with all humanity, that there's something at work here. This is just the beginning of it. It's covenant, but it's not framed like covenant yet. Uh, in chapter 15, Abraham is 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 asking some questions about this, and here we have a conversation in uh, in chapter 15. Uh, verse 2, Abram says, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus? And Abram said, You've given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, No, this man will not be your heir, but a son who is of your own flesh and blood will be your heir. And he took him outside and he said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if you can count them. So shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord and the Lord credited it to him as righteousness. He said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. And this, this idea of I am God and here's what I have done represents what happens in, in every covenant. God takes the initiative. He doesn't wait on us. He doesn't wait on the other party to make a move or to make a change or to make an offer. God always initiates covenant. So he's reminding Abram, I've already done this with you. I called you out of that land and brought you to this land. Now here's what I am going to do on my own initiative. The Lord said to him, Uh, now, Now they're setting up the ritual of covenant and the signs of covenant. He says, Bring me a heifer, a goat, a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these to him. He cut them in two. He arranged the halves opposite of each other. The birds, however, he didn't cut in half. Then the birds of prey came down on the carcasses. Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. And the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country, not their own, and that they'll be enslaved and mistreated there. But I'll punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterwards they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. What's that all about? Yeah, well... What that's all about it's a statement that 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 shows that what God is doing with Abraham is good for Abraham, and it's for Abraham, but it's not just for Abraham it's for the generations to come and that's the other nature of covenant that God always has more in mind than just a single individual, and the people who are ...telling this story and keeping this story and recording this story... ...and eventually putting pen to paper and writing the story down for people like us... ...and everyone who's come before us. We see in this... Remember those lenses of the Old Testament? This is the Exodus lens. We're seeing this through the Exodus lens and through the exile lens even. But it's certainly the Exodus lens. These people who are going to be in Egypt... I mean, ...we know that's the Exodus story... Abram might not know what that is, but we know. But Abram knows that he's going to die at peace at a good old age. And he's going to have heirs. He's going to have descendants. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, verse 17, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants I give this land from the wadi of Egypt to the great river of the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites and the Kenizzites and the Kadmonites and the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. says, you're going to inherit this land, Abram. Now, that's for Abram and for his descendants, but not just for them. And all those cut-up pieces have to do with the keeping of covenants and you know the the broken pieces of the covenant and it and and covenant language by the way is not anything that 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 God invents out of whole cloth here it it remember that God is speaking to us in the language of covenant and just like we sometimes get covenant confused with law they would have had their rituals and their treaties and their way of doing things and throughout scripture we see God's covenant resembling that, resembling the rituals and the the practices of covenant. One of those in 17, we see when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. And then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. (laughs) Abram fell down and God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you, you are will be the father of many nations. Okay, that's the the underlying, basic principle of God's covenant with Abraham. You are going to be the father of many nations. Interestingly, Abram's name means father. And when his name becomes Abraham, it's the father of many peoples, or the father of nations. Um, No longer will you be called Abram. Hey, you get a new name with covenant. You will be called Abraham, for I've made you a father of many nations. He's going to live up to this new name. I'll make you very fruitful. I'll make nations. Now, remember, God is saying this to a 99-year-old man. God's also audacious with his covenants. I mean, if you're going to, you know, if I'm God, I'm thinking, yeah, well, wait, let's pass on the 99-year-old. Um, you know, that'd be a good thing to say, maybe to the to the eighteen year old kid over here, and give him twenty wives and well, be fruitful and multiply. But no, he's he's doing this because he's saying, "I'm going to show people I'm I'm covenant. I'm I'm a covenant making God, and I'm going to do this." God takes the initiative and he backs the covenants. I'll establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. So. God is invested in this man having, this 99-year-old man having descendants because he's going to be their God and they're going to be his people. Do you see how God is interested in relationship? And he wants to participate in the creation. And he's doing all of this because he's going to bless all nations through this project. Now, out of that covenant... Verse 9, God said to Abram, as for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants and your, and after you the generations to come. And this is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you're to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. Well, now, that sounds like a strange thing to ask. And you can look at it on, you know, some as some people have, as, well, that's just a strange kind of a crazy ritual. You know, it's just, just one of the, is it? By the way, if you're listening to this, you know, and, and, and here now or in the future and you're wondering, what is circumcision? Well, go to the Internet. I'm not going to describe it to you. But uh, <laughs> circumcision, it, it, it makes sense if the whole point of the covenant is descendants, doesn't it? That there's a reminder there that this whole, you know, for Abraham, he's 99 years old. For others, the descendants are going to have to keep it. they're going to have to remember, okay, wait, me and my descendants keeping this you know me and my children and their children keeping this covenant, we've got to remember that, and we've got to remember that we're the fathers of people who are covenant keepers with God. That's the covenant with abraham and and, and we we could say more about that, but again i want to I want to now move out. You know, zoom out and let's go back to the big idea of covenant because it's really easy to get into the story of Abraham here, which is a very fascinating story. But let's zoom out and, and, and let's look at one of his descendants, one of his descendants who um, you begin to wonder if he ought to be the one that has the promise. And that's uh, that's his grandson, Jacob. Jacob, in fact, steals the promise away. He uh, cheats his brother and gets it. And he has the promise now, and now he's the keeper of that covenant. But he's on the run from his brother. He's something of an outlaw because he has to go into hiding. And when we get to, um, let's see, yeah, Genesis 28. In Genesis 28, um, Jacob is on his way uh, to his uncle's land. He's leaving the land of promise, by the way, which is a bit of a problem. And he's a scoundrel, and, and you know you expect God to step in and say, "Now wait a second, this is a foul. Esau should be the one who keeps covenant," but God doesn't do that. It's like Jacob has the covenant. Now, I don't know why God doesn't step in and call foul and reset everything, except maybe God's perspective on all of this is. My covenant is ultimately going to be with everyone. So for God, Jacob is as good as Esau, or maybe even better, because then if God works His project of salvation through Jacob, well, then that you know, he's already worked through Jacob's grandfather, who was over a hundred, and now if He's working through uh, Jacob who's a bit of a scoundrel and the one who shouldn't be inheriting the promise even better god will show everybody and that's god being audacious again and showing how he is really intent on repairing what is broken so he reaches out to jacob gives him this dream of this stairway with the angels the agents of heaven ascending and descending on the stairway and um Jacob now wakes up from it and says, the Lord is in this place and I wasn't aware of it. How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. And early the next morning, Jacob takes the stone that he had placed under his head. He set it up as a pillar. He poured oil on top of it. Gives the uh, place uh, a new name, Bethel, the house of God. And then Jacob makes a vow, not a covenant, a vow. That means Jacob is making a one-sided promise here. But for him, it's two-sided because he expects something from God. He says, if God God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking, and and if God will give me food to eat, and, and if God will give me clothes to wear, I'm adding a lot of if God's there, I know, but to to emphasize something, if God will return me safely to my father's household, then, then, the Lord will be my God, and this stone that I've set up as a pillar will be God's house. Now, isn't that nice? God gets a house out of the deal, and that house is a rock. Um, God just God must have must be thinking at this point that he's won the lottery like, wow, all I got to do is give Jacob everything he needs and wants and I get a rock to live in? Hey, what a deal. This guy's a real sucker. I'm, I'm going to take him for everything. What's audacious about Jacob's vow is God's already taken care of him. By the way, the flip side of that is is that God's going to wrestle him into the mud. That's another story. But Jacob doesn't get covenant yet, I don't think. But he gets it that God is up to something. And God is going to take that and say, I can work with that. I can work with that. This is the covenant. By the way, God took the initiative. Jacob is talking about ifs and thens. And if God does this, then I'll do that. Jacob is talking about contracts and law. God's already set up the stairway, the escalator out of heaven, and said, "I'm already at work, Jacob. It's time for you to catch up. I don't have to catch up, you do. And it'll take Jacob 20 years, but he's going to get it. He's going to get it. Now, Jacob and his kids end up in Egypt. Uh, the, the story is is that they, then all those descendants, and by the way, these covenants don't just replace the next covenant they build on it. They grow on it organically. And if that's too squishy for you, then think of it like this. These covenants are not just, okay, this covenant, we're going to rip it out, replace it, put in a new covenant, now rip it out like batteries, like old batteries. You take one out, you throw it away, put a new battery in. It's more like those little Russian dolls that are all closed up inside each other. They go together and you can open them up, but they all fit in each other. These covenants build on each other, but the further we go with these covenants, the more we get to the heart of God. So that when we get to Moses, and, and we've got this problem in, uh, in in Exodus, where the people are, remember, this is our Exodus lens. The people are in Egypt. They're trapped there. They're, they've become slaves. God's got to do something. We've got the land over here we promised to Abraham. Now we have all the descendants, but they're not in the right land, and they're not They're not the people that God intends them to be. So God has to act. He initiates. He acts on their behalf. Gets the people out. And so in Exodus 19, the people have left Egypt. Now their identity at this point is we're slaves. They think like slaves. They are brick-making, mud-mixing slaves. They don't, they, don't, they don't know who Moses, they don't respect Moses. They've heard of God, you've got Aaron. Remember, the people of Israel do not just come right out of this instant. It's like all you've got to do is add water and they're good. They're the people of God. They have lost their identity, they've lost their heritage. Slavery does that to people. It steals their identity, it robs them of their history. Because they become less than human. This is what happens to these people. And so now God's got to bring this back. And in fact, he has to work through a generation to get there. Because he says, I'm going to get you back into the promised land. But we've got to go take that land. God says, listen, you don't have anything to worry about. Let me tell you about your forefather Abraham. He was 99 years old. I made a covenant with him. Let me tell you about Jacob. You know? Let me tell you about the 20 years that he spent outside the land. But they don't get it yet. Well, that's okay. Their kids will. So God is working with them. Now, God's got these people on the path. Back to the land of their forefathers. They stop at a mountain called Sinai. And uh, there, uh, God's going to get them all together. And they're going to set up the relationship. Because God does not want them to think of themselves as slaves. He wants them to think of themselves as the descendants of Abraham. So, he's got Moses, who's his agent in all of this. And Moses went back summon the elders and the people, set, them, set before them all the words of the Lord that the Lord had commanded Moses to speak. This is uh, Exodus 19, verse 7. Exodus 19, verse 8. The people all responded together, we will do everything the Lord has said. So this is covenant. And they're in, they sign. Yeah, we're, we're, we're for it. They don't know what all this is going to mean. But they're in, they're in. So they're going to have to learn what it means and that's why Moses brings them the law. That's why Moses brings them the instruction. It's better to think of it as the teaching rather than just the law. It's not a bunch of rules. It's rules. It's teaching that is meant to tell them to do certain things so that they can learn what God is all about. In Exodus 34, Moses is working on these stone tablets which are going to be the law. which are going to, It's going to set out the framework. It's, it's, it's a prescription for God's people who are recovering from slavery. They are recovering from an identity of nothing to an identity as God's chosen people. And by chosen, we're saying chosen by God, identified by God, named by God. They, they, they go from a nothing people to a something people overnight. But they're going to have to learn this. They're going to have to learn this as they go. So Moses is working on these stone tablets. And meanwhile, Moses, he wants to know more about this covenant-making God. Um, And he he has asked God to reveal his presence to him. In uh, chapter 34, verse 4, Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones. He went up to Mount Sinai early in the morning. As the Lord had commanded him, and he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. And the Lord came down in the clouds and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. Now the name that God is about to give, this is his full name. This is his credentials. This is what you need to know about God. That when God is putting his name on the covenant, this is how he wants to be known. He passed in front of Moses and he himself is proclaiming the Lord himself, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. God is revealing himself in these covenants. We're getting to know him a little better. We're getting to know his story. We're knowing who he is. God's making covenants because he's all about relationship. Um, By the way, in in verse 10, the Lord says to Moses, and Moses is passing this on to the people, I'm making a covenant with you. He says, today we, you know, this this is a special day for God and his people. Today we're making a covenant. Before all your people, I'm going to do wonders that have never been done in any nation in all the world. And the people you live among will see how awesome is the work that I, the Lord, will do for you. God's saying, I'm doing this for you, but it's not just for you. It's so that all the world will know who I am. God wants them to know this. Now, in that, there are implications. This covenant is getting more it, we're getting closer and closer with God. So in verse 12, he says, be careful. Be careful not to make a treaty with those who live in the land where you're going. Now remember, these are, this is the people that Moses just brought out of slavery. They, they don't have roots that tell them who they are. They could get to the land, people could say, oh, hey. Yeah, they've already, by the way, just decided to, to make a god uh, that is the god that led them out of Egypt. And they thought, well, you know, we need to have something no, let's make a golden bull. That'll, that'll, that's God. That's God. They don't give it another name. They think it is God, but they they don't they don't they don't have that background. They they don't have their story. They don't have this covenant relationship. So he's when he says, "Be careful," he's not just being grouchy. He's saying, "Listen, you need to be really careful." It's like it's like if you're a parent and you taught your kids to drive, and it's that first time they get to go out driving. You know, they get to go out, go to school, whatever go drive with their friends, and you're like, okay, listen, you know how to drive and everything. Yeah, I know how to drive, I know how to drive, I know all about driving, and all about it. Be careful, because you think you know all about driving, you don't. Things happen, they happen quick, and you haven't built up the reflexes yet to know. God is concerned, and he says, I want you to be careful. Don't start doing what the neighbors do. You start making treaties with them, and you think that's okay. Next thing you know, you're going to be following their God. Now, you can ask yourself, well, after all God's done with them, why would they do this? Look at verse 15. Be careful not to make a treaty with those who live in the land. They're going to make a treaty because they don't want to get into a fight. He says, for when they prostitute themselves to their gods and they sacrifice to them, they will invite you and you will eat their sacrifices. They're going to respond because they're going to show up in this land and they don't know anybody and they're, they're going to be tired and everything. And the neighbors are going to be there with their crazy, weird gods. And, and and they're going to say, hey, we're having a barbecue. Y'all want to come? They're going to go. Well, you know, I mean, God, it, I mean, they got they got ribs. You know, no, he says, don't go. It's not going to go well. He goes, you know, you're going to think you're just going there to get a meal. and And, and when you choose some of their daughters as wives for your sons, and then the daughters uh get into the 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 weird worship of these gods and then they're going to lead your sons to do the same and remember these covenants are generational you got to keep this god says we got to get this working all right but we sadly because we know our lenses know that not everything goes well with that but there's a covenant before that now uh there's a few more covenants but i think we're going we're going we're going to wrap it up right there because we've got to save something and um next time we're going to talk about some of these other covenants and i'll give you just a little preview there is the covenant with david which has to do because if you, if you want to look ahead and and uh spoilers are okay in this in this area there's the covenant with david Which sets up some very important things. And by the way, the covenant with David as the king is a covenant with David. And it's for David and it's good for David. But it's not just for David. It benefits everyone. God knows what he's doing in that covenant. Then there's talk of a new covenant. Not in the New Testament, but in the Old Testament. And Jeremiah 31 is what you're going to want to read. And, and, and I think that's why we need to do this next time, because we're going to really have to take a run at Jeremiah 31. There's so much there, but there's already talk of a new covenant. And yet, when you start to hear about this new covenant, you realize all those other covenants, this is where God was heading all along. This is where he was going with all of this. It's almost like those other covenants are reverse engineered. They're all leading to this one. And then what Jeremiah and Ezekiel talk about in Ezekiel chapter 36 is what Christ draws together at the Passover meal, and it's what you and I are about even today. But we'll get into this next time. Right now, we're going to sing a song. If you need to partake of communion, that's in room 100, and... um, Anyway, let's stand and sing, and then we'll be dismissed in prayer.